So these moments of beginning always interest me so much. And uh, I'm wondering what you're aware of right now. What are you noticing of the mind and the body? Jumping right in, right? I mean, why not? So what do you notice? You know, interest or curiosity or what, what a strange way to begin or, oh, it's good to see Gregory again. Or how do you know what you're noticing? How, do you, how is noticing happening now? How do you know what you're thinking? The thinking mind is knowing itself. The awareness is knowing the mind. So already we can see, perhaps if you notice that you're noticing, we can see that this mindfulness is a natural thing. That we have this awareness and actually where we get lost is when we start fusing with our thoughts, you know, like we, we identify with them, we fall in so deep that there's no knowing. But if you could notice now what it's like to be unfused, to be, even for this moment, somewhat awake. What's it like? What's, what's the experience right now? How, is the, how does the body feel, for example? Is it comfortable? Uh, there are little pains here and there. You want to adjust a little bit, you know. How do you know how the body feels? <laughs> Pretty amazing, actually, isn't it? And what is the mind doing now? Hearing words. Do you notice the mind's response to this Gregory thing? You notice the mind states, you know, and kind of a feeling tone, perhaps. And in these pauses, what are you aware of in the pauses? Are we meditating yet? Or does meditating only happen when you're by yourself and your eyes are closed? And the input is just only what your mind fabricates by itself as opposed to this world. So Let me ask you a question and you just kind of see what the mind does with it. Um, can you sense right now the unfolding of your life? You know, that everything that came before conditions what it's like to be here right now. Whatever you ate for your last meal, what you did yesterday, you feel that conditioned sense of like just rising each moment and you experience what I'm saying because of your history, your background. So we can begin to be aware of this conditioned nature, aware of this front edge, if you will, of time, you know, of experiencing happening, this front edge where mindfulness only can take place. There is no other place for it. So you want to test that? I'll give you a little opportunity to test it. Just right now, try being mindful in the past. <laughs> it boggles my mind. I don't even know what to do with that. So I could give you one, another one. 
you can guess what it is. Try being mindful in the future. <laughs> it completely doesn't make sense. Try being mindful right now. Just noticing what the mind is doing, noticing the body. Oh, I can do that. So this conditioning that pushes us forward, you know, our family history and all of our past relationships and the language we learned to speak, the languages perhaps, everything just conditioned right now. So that can just roll forward without any intervention by a conscious being or in this moment, any moment, we can pause from, the, from that rolling forward, pausing into this moment like this and be awake for a moment. That's a choice. It's the only choice we have, actually, because without that choice, everything is just the next moment of conditioned thought, which creates the next moments of action, of speech. And then it kind of goes on until you, the body sort of runs down and decays and you die. But this moment is a moment of choice. But that choice takes some development because the habits of running forward have been very deeply uh, conditioned in the nature of the mind to just continue to grab onto its thought, grab onto its next thought, grab onto its emotion, grab onto that sensation, grab onto the sensation that is aggregated into, oh, it's a person, we grab onto the person. And that's just, that's the, that's avijja, that's the blindness, right? That's the ignorance. That's at the basis of suffering. So clearly, when the Buddha talks about suffering and the end of suffering, he's talking about waking up from that. The end of suffering is waking up from the insistence of that. That blindness that then, of course, in that uh, kind of in the under the control of that conditioning, our actions sometimes will probably be pretty kind and good. I would think if you were raised as a semi decent human being, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it'll be harmful, and we won't even know it. We'll think it's just our pleasure or our right or our getting even or, or getting what we want, not realizing how painful it is to always be out trying to get what we want because we're not waking up to it. So that's suffering and the end of suffering is like, pshht, and it's a pause that like the world opens up. So everything that's I've said in the last few minutes has a very interesting feature, I think, that I'd like to point out because it's a theme of why we're gathered. And that interesting feature is that the voice of another, in your case, me, I'm speaking, and I've been making suggestions, kind of guiding you to observe certain things. And so 
and you got to support me with some head nodding because of this virtual thing. So you need to work with me here. So uh, in the last few minutes, has your mindfulness benefited from, from my speaking and suggesting certain things to you? Uh, good. Thank you very much. That's what I'd hoped, of course. And the point is that the relational experience provided an, an encouragement and a basis for your sati, for your mindfulness. It's not, it's, it's obvious. I'm stating the obvious, but it's profound. So, to understand how radical that is, we might just reflect for a moment. How often in our everyday relational contacts are those contacts waking us up and how often are they <laughs> stimulating and cycling us in, uh, you know, uh, the fabrication of emotions and thoughts that we're fused with. So think about, you know, when's the last time you hung out with your mother or father or sister or brother and how much of the you and the they, the, you know, the, the me and the you thing and all of it could be very fun. It could be very tense. I don't know what your family relationships are like, but do they tend to like reignite patterns of thought and emotion and behavior? I'd say famously so. So what about, you know, most of our friendships? unless you happen to be very lucky and have a lot of so-called spiritual friendships. But our everyday friendships are largely aimed towards excitement and fun, and which is fine, no problem there, but is there wakefulness? So when we go to a meditation retreat, it's very normal and sensible to set aside the relational contact as much as possible. It's not really possible. And, uh, you know, sort of, you have people all around you, but your eyes are closed, you're looking downward, and you're carried by the room of people practicing. But the idea is don't disturb because that's what human beings do to each other. They disturb each other. That's the basic understanding, right? Don't bother me. I won't bother you. Don't cough. Don't talk. Definitely don't do anything interesting, please. Okay, ready to meditate now. And I understand that. And I see the value in it because it simplifies the experience field a great deal. And that's for certain practices and certain um, uh, aspects of developing mindfulness and some stillness, some samadhi, that's really important. And in some cases, it's in some, for some practices, it's absolutely necessary. But to conceive of our Dhamma path, as that singular, I'd almost say pseudo-isolated mode um, has a very high price. Uh, what we're giving up is the um, enormous capacity of awakening each other 
through actual formal practice, like insight dialogue, where you develop sati together and one person is awake and the other person is maybe not awake and they wake you up and you wake them up. It's like, then you can both be awake. Then if you're both asleep, in some moment you realize, oh, I'm sitting here with another person. What am I doing? Oh, I'm here to wake up and you, you know, kick back in. And eventually you get to a place where there's the mutuality of being awake is what stabilizes. And then it gets very strong. The samadhi comes in with the mindfulness and the mindfulness then amplifies and penetrates. And that's why insight dialogue retreats can be so powerful. The wisdom then just comes right into that field and boom, you know, comes the, the wisdom is embodied because you're, you're awake, you're with another. There's this situation that's holding the momentum of the sati, the samadhi, and the dhamma, right? Because you're talking about stuff. What are you talking about? Well, you're pointing each other towards whatever the contemplation is, but it's just like you and I right now, where, you know, I'm doing all the talking. It's a one-way thing, but it's an aiming. Like these words touch you. You hear words. They aim your mind and you say, ah, let's see what the sati is like, or let's see what this relational thing with Gregory is, the way I'm talking about it. Well, you do that with other people and guess what? The power of their practice is supporting your practice because you're engaged in Dhamma Vijaya together, in investigation of mind together. People investigate very well together. It's a very effective chemistry. And the virya, the energy that comes up, these are all factors of awakening. So, together in our practices, and uh, you know, these talks I'll give in the next four sessions that we have together. will be aimed at uh, touching into both in our thinking process, but especially experientially, the power of spiritual friendship and community for the good, for awakening, for the arousal of wholesome states, for the establishment of compassion for waking up. And the intention is that by touching into different path factors, right now we're starting with a focus on sati, mindfulness, but we'll be going to multiple path factors, noble noble eightfold path factors, that we can begin to see how relationship can function and empower, invigorate all of these path factors. And indeed, by the time we're done, I hope, you have a sense of an invigorated whole life path. That we have a sense of the uh, opportunity for the wisdom and care of which we're capable to infuse our lives together. and how we can do that, how we can actually move forward in our lives beyond four sessions. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm hoping it points beyond four sessions is what I'm saying. So, the reason I wanted to begin with sati, with mindfulness, uh, 
is because it's uh, it's a you might say central to the whole path, as is right view and right effort. These three together, but I'm choosing to start with the sati because it's familiar to us. You know, we've thought about it a lot. Most of us have practiced it. Some have practiced it quite a lot, um, but maybe not so much with other people, but maybe, you know, individually. But we know this, coming back to where something I said a moment ago, if we don't have that pause of waking up, then the habit mind just continues uninterruptedly. And then nothing. There is no path. I mean, you're 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 typically on a kind of a what you know the the, the discourses are like this on a kind of a wrong path. <laughs> I know that we don't like that kind of language anymore, but it's actually kind of helpful, isn't it, to say, well, yeah, if you're if you're you know thinking and behaving and your mind, mental function and emotional function is just going towards sleep or sleepiness or harmfulness or you know, agitation and fear and confusion. We, that's a path. It's a path, but it's not a wise path. It's not a path that frees us. So, in a little while, I'm going to invite us into practice in uh, groups of three. And I'll say a little bit about the practice, Um, but I want to also let you know that over the course of the next, uh, you know, of our four sessions, uh, I'll be tapping into insight dialogue practice because I have uh, experienced it as a way that uh, all of these words can go from the abstract into a living experience. That's the point, that when we're exploring them together, even to speak our experience to another person, we have to feel it somehow. We have to get beyond just, you know, um, kind of thinking about it and spinning about it. Something has to come alive with us if we're practicing with any diligence. So um, we're going to work with the meditation guideline pause. And in Insight Dialogue, The pause is exactly the home of mindfulness. And the notion is just what I said. If there's no pause, there's no practice. Now, the pause can take time or it can be instantaneous because there's an awakening and you don't actually have to stop. So as I'm talking now, one might be able to sense, oh, I can just like, it's like turning up the wattage on an old-fashioned non-LED light bulb, you know, it just gets brighter. The mind can get brighter, and you pause, and and that kind of luminous quality of awareness comes forward. We wake up, we know what's going on. One way of anchoring this is to pause and become aware of the body. So you might feel that now, you know, you do feel your body sitting. Thing that's so profoundly useful about bodily awareness is that it's just here and now. It's just straight up. So do you feel yourself, you know, let's say touching your chair or cushion? What's that like? 
Is it uh, simple? Does the mind jump around or does it settle? There's no right way, I'm just asking. Is the mindfulness steady or kind of bouncy? You're just feeling the body it has that simplicity. So let's continue just together. So as I'm speaking, it's natural for me after all these years, I guess, that I pause a lot. You might notice that. It's not theater. It's awareness. So can you notice when I pause what happens with your awareness? Like now. It doesn't matter exactly what you're aware of, you see. It's the awareness itself. You pause and you say, oh, there's awareness. You can recognize the awareness itself because there's the space, that push of even my conceptual offering through language, even that push with all of its kindness and its dhamma and everything stops. And the space opens up, right? That the awareness is just here. You see? So that's the pause in insight dialogue. Now, as a training, it's really, really helpful to pause before you speak. So when I offer a contemplation, which I will do something to talk about, you offer that contemplation to the mind and you pause before speaking. Because, you know, you're so smart, you can speak right away. You know that. But you pause for sati. Not to think about it more, but to, to come into experience directly. Pause. Awareness is established. Now you can find what's true in your experience, right? Now you can locate what you might speak without speaking from habit. You see the difference? So pause. And you're pausing as you listen to me. I mean, looking at some of you, I can tell that that's actually happening, which is very sweet. It's very gratifying. So we pause while we're listening. What are we pausing when we're listening? We're not even talking. What does pause mean when you're listening? Well, pausing from what the mind is fabricating like judgments of me or a parallel thought or, you know, like when's he going to get finished or "Hmm, we're going to go into breakout rooms. I wonder if my glasses are on straight and my hair is fixed up or, you know, whatever the mind might be doing, pause, kind of relaxing into the moment. Here we are. And there's awareness. So, When you're speaking, it's more complex, though, because now, you know, you're going to bring in the contemplation, you're going to talk. So you pause also, like I just did, while speaking. For most of us, let's be frank, it's difficult. We're sort of like uh, a horse in a stable, you know, and, 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 and we've just been let out and we can talk now and the horse is going along and you want it to stop? But I'm not even finished saying what I have to say, which is so important to me. So the pause, once we've started talking, is a challenge, but it's a good practice. You see for yourself, you might want to do it, maybe... Maybe you don't want to. That's okay. And here's another one. Pausing after you've finished speaking. 
What does that mean? You just finished speaking. How, why, what does a pause mean? It means you finish speaking and you bring that uh, leveling up of the luminous quality of the mind, of the, of the awareness. Boom. What's, what's happening now? Something like that. What's happening now? Now that I just finished, right? And the, the Buddha's teaching to his son Rahula, you know, reflect before, during, and after speech. Is it harmful? Is it beneficial? You know, is it, you know. But that's a, a teaching on right speech and reflection. This is a teaching on sati, mindfulness. Pausing while you listen, pausing while you speak. So the suggestion for inside dialogue practice is to actually use the word pause. Um, present it to yourself mentally, because then it becomes a quick, like a handle. You tell yourself pause and it becomes a like a, 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 a key that opens up all of the qualities of mindfulness, the brightness, the awareness of awareness, awareness of the body, all that stuff. You don't have to think about all that or say all that to yourself because you've learned in a body-mind gestalt, a whole experience, pause means all of that. <laughs> it's, it's very simple very direct, pause. So now I'll offer a contemplation. And while I'm offering the contemplation, our dear friend Richard is going to be dividing us into groups of three. So if you're going to like leave the Zoom world, could you do so now <laughs> if you don't want to practice is the point. If you want to stay with us, but don't want to speak in insight dialogue, could you rename yourself by putting an X first and then your name? Put an X before your name that will group you together for the Zoom host and he'll put you into a silent room. It's okay. I think you'll miss something important, but I respect that for some people, there's either a preference or a feeling of uh, safety or something that, and I respect that. So as you see fit, but it would be good if you're going to do that, please do that now out of respect for uh, both the Zoom host and the group. Thank you. So, <clears throat> Greg? Yes. One other thing is, oh, Richard, do you want to let people know? Uh, I'm not sure what you were going to say, but um, we're going to, because of the number of participants, we're going to need to use the second Zoom room. Um, and so once people have gone to the second Zoom room, once the numbers stabilize here, then I'll be able to work out how many groups we need. And, and I've got a few people I need to move around for various reasons. Um, and, and, and then we'll, we'll go into the groups after that. Ah, that's important for me to know. Thank you, Richard. Dan, Jean, you had something to say? That was it, yeah. Okay, yeah. So what that means is when we first get together into breakout, we're going to have a couple of minutes that we're not even in, beginning the dialogue yet because I'd like us to all have so many minutes to speak without the burden of wondering whether you're talking too much or the other person's going to speak. So as a kind of a training in inside dialogue, we'll separate speaker and listener. That's not the essence of the practice, but it's, it's still good practice. And so you'll have, let's say, is three minutes enough for all of your dealings, Richard? Yeah, it should be adequate. Okay, so you'll have three minutes, which is quite a long time, um, to just settle, to decide on who's the first, second, and third speaker, right? So you'll do that. Then drop into the silence 
and then um, we'll send a banner to begin. Okay, uh, you got that. Okay, thank you. Um, and then, and then the first person will speak for five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. It's your three people, and then. Um, let's say uh, seven minutes of all three of you removing the form of taking turns, okay? So you'll get banners that will tell you when to change speakers and that will remind you of the contemplation that I can now finally offer, okay? Okay, thank you. So, Um, I want to say something first just about safety. Um, uh, each group is a confidential unit, so maintain that. Um, but also, uh, let's, you know, sustain a general sense of, of respect for each other um, in terms of uh, right speech not speaking what's untrue, not speaking harshly, uh, being acting in ways that are sexually appropriate, which is to say if there's any sexual urges or attraction, that's your deal. Just notice how that feels in the body-mind. You don't objectify and threaten the other with your wishes. So just let that down, feel the stress of that. Let that go. Um, and you can always turn to uh, one of the uh, hosts, and I'll be available also uh, if they need me, um, if there's any, not just issues of safety, but anything else that you need in the practice. So thank you. So we've been talking about the path factor of sati mindfulness and um, there's a dynamic that comes forward when two two or more are together intentionally practicing mindfulness so I'd like to invite you to investigate the quality of experience of being with others and exploring, developing sati. So you're observing when you pause, how am I practicing mindfulness? Which is to say, is there energy? Ardency is a word that was in the, you know, translated from the discourses. Atapi is the word. Um, is there, uh, am I mindful internally in here or externally of the other? Am I, is this awareness being impacted by people looking at me and me looking at them? and them listening to me, how's the quality of practice now? What's the quality of being aware? So you're not talking about some abstract experience. You're actually talking about your experience of mindfulness. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, a, it's kind of a, I'm trusting you to take a leap into a kind of a mature practice here. I believe that you can do this. What's this quality of being in mindfulness practice right now? Not in the abstract, the actual experience. What's it like in the body? Ah, well, I find myself a little bit on edge or I find myself, uh, you know, relaxing and that the awareness is actually pretty strong because I'm looking at your eyes and 
you're looking at me and I'm looking at you and I'm looking at both of you and it kind of keeps me going. You know, whatever you're noticing is fine. Or you could notice, so, well, I feel some nervousness now, but mindfulness is noticing the nervousness. Well, that's not so bad. You know, whatever your experience is. So it's a, in, in, in Insight Dialogue, we talk about speaking the, the truth of present moment experience. So let the pause support you. Does the mindfulness change when you pause as you're listening to the other speaker and they pause? What happens to your mindfulness? So while you're listening, continue the practice of sati. You see what I'm saying? Pausing before, during, and after speaking. Pausing while listening. What is the experience of sati right now with these other people in this body-mind now? minutes to just choose speakers and then settle and then five 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 seven so uh, what we've uh, launched into and I hope it provides a foundation for us is a recognition of the uh, sensitivity of human contact and specifically aiming that sensitivity towards being more awake instead of the usual less awake, right? So what actually is happening, for example, right now as you're hearing me is light is touching the eyes and air pressure waves are touching your ears and that's it, rising and vanishing. And then the mind makes of that perceptions, sanya, and those perceptions uh, of now just light becomes different colors and shapes, and just air pressure becomes words, and the words have meaning, and so we get further and further up in complexity. But not only is the image various colors, but it's a human being. And as soon as that happens, there are mechanisms that kick in that have been evolved in this human body-mind for millions of years of extra sensitivity and actually certain um, capacities of sensitivity. Um, that normally, uh, which is to say habitually, um, move us towards the wanting and the fear and stuff that accompanies all other perceptions and sensations, right? I want the coffee, I want the food, I don't want that, I do want this. Only with humans, it's like, just multiply it by a thousand, right? It's very complex, very subtle, and the longings are very profound. So that's why, of course, we're so sensitive, we fall into that. And um, this wonderful, sweet thing of building ourselves in front of the other. How do I look? How do I sound? How does my practice? Do they think I'm a good meditator? Do I look okay? Um, You know, uh, whatever. And then all of the aspects of identity, perhaps related to skin color or age or anything else, is all floating in that mix of I am, because I am in front of you is how I came to be. That's how we come to exist as a self. So, so this is where we're practicing sati, 
And there's several very important things that come out of that that will provide a basis for our ongoing, you know, the rest of our sessions to understand that this is built into the human experience, this relatedness. Therefore, all of the Buddha's teachings, the entire Dhamma, is necessarily applying to our relational lives because it's there's no separation. You can't pull it out. You can't not be related. It's not possible. So suffering and the end of suffering includes relational suffering and the end of relational suffering. The path towards freedom is a shared path even when we don't recognize it. When we do recognize it, and we realize that we are in awareness together, we are co-creating the ignorance together, we are, you know, stimulating each other and being together kind of there's becomes an ignorant relationship, you know, <laughs> an ignorant society. If you want to go all the way out, I mean, look at our culture. Asleep, right? It's completely locked in patterns of greed and oppression and desire and fear and so on. So the individual goes all the way out to the social through the relational and it comes back in. The social impact is through our relationships with human beings as well as our relationships with systems of people. That's all kind of abstract, but the point is, in, in this moment, in each moment, it can, it can foster our practice and it can reveal things like uh, we, you know, our friend Katie shared with us, this comes up when I'm with other people. Or uh, the gentleman who said he was watching, because he was labeling it, naming it to others, he had to perceive it differently. He had to come to a certain way of understanding it, just enough to speak it, right? So the actual practice gains a certain strength and capacity. And we will see what we don't see alone. If for no other reason than because my patterns come up when I'm with you, at the very least, right? So... Um, I'd like to suggest that if you care to practice this week, exploring when you are awake and when you're not awake, which is to say in mindfulness, you know, mindful, with other people. What happens when you're with other people? Can the pause awaken you? When you have been unawake and you wake up to having been unawake, noticing that moment, oh, I'm awake now. What was it like to be asleep? Can you learn about that delusion, that ignorance that comes up with others? It can be very informative, very beneficial to the whole path. And... Um, we're going to send you a, uh, a kind of, call it a practice. Well, I call it the five questions of sati. So the, the questions, you know, uh, are simply, uh, why am I practicing awareness? What am I aware of? How am I practicing awareness? Where and when? And right now, of course, saying that quickly, it won't make a lot of sense. But it's the key I want to point out is don't try to answer these questions when you practice with the thinking mind. Like right now, I'll ask you a question. We can do it. Right now, let's just ask, when are we practicing awareness? Just launch into that. Don't try to answer. Just launch into. 
The obvious answer is now. But it's the question that wakes you up. Like that. So don't try to answer these questions. Just let them be the basis for launching beyond the words into experience. And then we'll come together and we'll touch other path factors and explore how with especially the support of relational practice that can enter our the whole of our lives. Nothing left out. So thank you. And just in closing, uh, I'd like to invite us to recollect that it's a great privilege that we have being together, having spiritual friends, having the support of teachers of Dhamma, and that in this world, there is a tremendous amount of pain. And that this privilege that we have, the safety, the time, enough to eat, places to live in order to do this, is not universal. So just let yourself reflect on that now. Feel the joy of being together, but also let the heart vibrate with beings who are suffering, beings who are in pain. May they be free from suffering, free from loss and fear and hurt. All beings, seen and unseen, everywhere. And may all of our practice and our good intentions together be of benefit. May they share in the merit of our practice and may they benefit from it in any possible way. May all beings be well and happy. May there be peace. May there be peace. May there be peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.